0: Hi everyone, my name's Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here at WSCCC and it's great to be here with you looking into God's Word. We've been going through our Ephesians series on God's Master Plan and today we come to Ephesians 6, 1-9. Have you ever wondered what God would say to children? Have you ever wondered what God would say to parents? Have you ever wondered what God would say to people in different roles in work and society? Bosses, business owners, managers, workers. In Ephesians 6:1 1-9, Paul gives the early Christians these instructions to guide them in how to live in their relationships in the world, in the different stages and roles in life that they were in. The big picture is summed up in these words from Chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And this section starts in 521. We looked at last week where it's more specifically looking at relationships, calling us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And last week we looked at marriage. And this week, we look at family, looking at children and parents, and looking at work, looking at slaves and masters. Now, you may be thinking there, whoa, wait a minute, I wasn't expecting slaves and masters to be a category covered in, in this kind of thing. Obviously, this letter was written in the 1st century, mid-1st century AD, and so there's some things that were very normal in society then which thankfully have changed now. I guess some things which maybe shouldn't have changed and are worse now, but there's this category of slaves and masters. Now, we'll get to that later, uh, but I just want to flag, we, it, it highlights the difference of the context Paul is speaking to, to our context today. So, with both of these categories, we need to do some good thinking through what did this mean to the original readers and hearers of this letter? And what does it mean applying to our culture today? So we'll do that. But first, let's pray as we come to God's word together. Lord God, you are good. And by nature, we tend to be self-centered and concerned about our own wants and feelings above all else. Lord God, we recognize that this causes a fractured family and society. Please guide us by your word, Lord in how we live a life that is right and brings good to our world and those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, firstly, let's think about children and parents. Uh, In in verse 1 of chapter 6, we read, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I just want to highlight this one thing to start off with, did you notice it It addresses children directly? So, um, if, if you're a kid listening today, this is speaking directly to you. To you. And this tells us a few important things. Uh, firstly, it tells us that children were part of the church, part of God's family included in the family of God there. Secondly it tells us that children were considered important enough to write to directly as part of this letter and thirdly it tells us that kids were considered intelligent enough to be hearing and understanding the this whole letter of Ephesians that is being read so there you go kids if you're listening out there you need to know this you are valuable in god's sight you're included In God's people, God cares about you and you're a very important part of God's family. Secondly, know this the Apostle Paul assumed you would be listening and that you're part of the church, and he assumed that you are intelligent enough to understand all this stuff. And he wrote this letter to you. And thirdly, it tells us that kids, what you do. Matters. It matters to God and it makes a difference. It's important. And God's message to you is this obey your parents. It means obeying means to hear and do what your parents say. I guess it means, first of all, you've got to listen, right? You've got to be paying attention. And I know as kids, we all experience sometimes where maybe we weren't listening to our parents or maybe we didn't want to do what our parents tell us to do. And that's a natural part of growing up as a kid. And sometimes we won't like the things they tell us to do or the consequences they give us when we don't. But I want to encourage you in this. If you've got Christian parents who are seeking to do the right thing for you in parenting, I'm sure your parents love you more than you could ever understand. I'm sure they love you more than anything, more than they could even put into words. And they really do want the best for you. And we're called to obey our parents in the Lord. You know, like if we obey our parents and they are seeking the best for us, then it's going to make life better for us. It's going to make life better for them. And this phrase, in the Lord, means that children are called to obey their parents Because it's an act of obedience to God, the ultimate authority, because God has given our parents this responsibility to raise us as children. It also shows us that if we're obeying our parents in the Lord, it doesn't mean obeying a bad parent who is telling us to do something against God's word. So obeying parents in the Lord doesn't mean um, submitting to abuse, it doesn't mean accepting. Wrongdoing um, because it's under that ultimate authority of God. Parents don't have an absolute authority. This is in stark contrast to parenting in the ancient world. A parent in the ancient world, a father, partic- practically had ultimate authority. They had the right to kill their child, to sell them off to slavery. Um, and these things were not uncommon. It was not uncommon for children to be treated harshly and, um, and abused. One of the, one of the um, writers of the day, a common passage, says that um, children should be treated harshly. They should be beaten. That fathers, it says, shouldn't laugh with their children. They shouldn't play with their children. They should be distant and stern disciplinarians and that was how to have a good relationship with children. Other times in history, like Victorian England, have said that children should be seen and not heard. But here, there's a very different picture of children, which is, I think, a lot more encouraging for children uh, and for everyone. Kids, if your parents are trying to raise you in the way that is right, I'd say trust them on it. They've got a lot more years than you. Brain studies have shown that our brains don't develop fully until we're 25 years old. That may be a shocking fact for some of you. But God has given parents this important role to help and guide children to adulthood. So it's a good idea to listen to them. Paul um, then backs this up with further explanation um, and and a citation from Scripture, a quote. He says, Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on earth. This is a quote from the fifth commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, and Exodus 20, verse 12. And it shouldn't be taken as a promise of, like, oh, if I'm really good, like an individual promise, then I'm going to grow to be very old. But it's a promise to the community of Israel that if you want to um, live well and enjoy long life in this land, If you want to see things go well, if you want to sustain and support life and family and society, then parents need to be honoured. This is how you will have a good life in the land. You want the hashtag blessed life, then you need to honour your parents is what it's saying. We need to honour our parents. That means to hold them in high esteem and value. You know, there is a time when uh, children grow up to be adults, when the relationship changes, and children are no longer expected to obey their parents like they did when they were young. In Genesis 2:24, it says, "That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and that they become one flesh." This leaving the father and mother, and cleaving to the wife is part of God's good design. But even when children grow to adulthood and independence, they still rightly honour and esteem parents. This honouring parents is a lifelong commitment at all stages of life. We are all children of our parents as long as we live. So how do we show honour to our parents? It's not just in our actions, but in our attitudes, the attitudes of our heart. And I want to give you some some practical tips, five practical tips about how you could do this. Firstly, pursuing a godly life and living like Jesus. You know, whether your parents are Christian or not, living God's way is the best way to bring honour to them because it's going to be the life that is Best that is most in touch with the reality in God's universe, in God's creation, and that will bring honor to your parents. It will also show the goodness of God's way to them. Secondly, pursue your God given gifts. As you do so, it not only honors God who gave you the gifts, but it honors your parents as you become. The person that God made you to be and live to your greatest potential. Whether your parents are still with us or not, both of these things is going to bring honour to your parents. Thirdly, if your parents are still with us, show them they are valuable in the way you communicate with them. Listen to them. Listen to them. Just listening says so much. It says, I value you. I respect you. I'm going to listen to you. And also, not only listen to them, but talk to them. They want to know about your life. They want to understand your life. So share with them your life. Fourthly, express thanks and appreciation. Anyone who's a parent knows that uh, there's a lot of sacrifices in your role as a parent and as children understand the sacrifices their parents have made simply showing thankfulness and appreciation for those things means a lot to parents and fifthly help and support them particularly as parents get older children are in a in a position of greater power and ability and often their aging parents will need their help and support. But even if you're young, it's not too, uh, not too early to start helping and supporting your parents. And that says a lot as well. So there's five practical ways you can honor your parents in everyday life. Um, next, Paul speaks to fathers. Read with me in verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Why are fathers singled out here, hey? You notice everything so far has been mutual. Um, Children, honor your parents, your father and mother. And then, hmm, fathers. I wonder if it's because fathers are the, I guess, as we've read, the ultimate responsibility. Um, God gives them responsibility for the family. God says, fathers, the buck stops with you. Don't try shirking this responsibility for raising your kids, for Um, for being there for your family. You know, I think uh, we have a lot of bad stereotypes of fathers. I think if you think of like the Simpsons and you think of Homer Simpson, he's like maybe the ultimate bad stereotype of a bad father who's always giving his kid really bad advice and has no respect. And if you think even about like if you're a little kid right now or you're a parent with little kids, you'll know Peppa Pig. And you would like, Daddy Pig is the stupid one who always says the dumb things. And, you know, like he's the comic relief in, you know, you just laugh at him, basically. And these things are funny, I guess. But maybe they speak a sad truth. That fathers too often have dropped the ball. Fathers too often haven't been there. And we haven't been the people that we should be. Maybe this is why God's, maybe it's a universal transcultural thing that fathers tend to shirk their responsibilities, tend to um, not be doing what they should be for their children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Maybe it's because fathers particularly tend to exasperate their children. What does this exasperate mean? It means drive to anger or resentment. Uh, In our age of entitlement, I think many kids will be angry and resentful just for not getting everything they want. And this is not talking about that. It's not talking about indulging kids to pacify their complaints and pandering to their sense of entitlement and their, their deep belief that their feelings are the ultimate reality. Exasperating children is not setting reasonable boundaries and expectations and holding children accountable to these things. That's just good parenting. But exasperating our children might be things like being an absent parent, physically absent, like just not being there, being, you know, sacrificing our family on the altar of work and success. Or it might be me being emotionally absent, not really caring and observing our child's needs and taking initiative in seeing that we provide for them in every area of life. These kind of things tell our kids that they don't really matter to us. And I'm sure every parent would be horrified to think that we're sending our kids that message. Another way that we could exasperate our kids would be being excessively harsh or critical or negative. We are called as parents to correct and train our kids. But I think sometimes we suppress, we suppress, we don't say anything and then we explode. And that's really unhelpful, isn't it? We assume that they should just know and read our minds and know what to do. We don't do the training and instruction and and communication that we should. As parents, and as fathers particularly, we need to guard our words against negativity and criticism. We need to recognize that our words have greater weight. Uh, I remember talking to someone... Who decades later could still remember the exact moment when his father said, You'll never amount to anything. Maybe his father just walked on and forgot those words, but this guy never did. As fathers, we need to recognize the responsibility for our words, and we need to make sure our words are building up, not breaking down. Or scarring for a lifetime. A third way that we can exasperate our children is having expectations that are either too high or too low. Let me explain. If our expectations are too high, there'll be a burden of unrealistic standards that our children could never meet. If our expectations are too low, we'll set a very low bar for our children, and that reflects on how we perceive them. They will see that as, well, there's, there's not much expected of me. I've got nothing to live up to. Um, that can be a bad, just as bad. We want that Goldilocks—not too heavy, not too light, just right. We need to set high standards, good standards, but not over the top standards. Fourthly, hypocrisy. Nothing will exasperate kids like saying, "Do as I say, not as I do," like saying. This is the way to live, but then they see you every day doing something very different. Fifthly, another way not to exasperate your kids is comparing them to others or trying to live your unfulfilled dreams through them. Comparing them to others sets them up for, uh, I guess, feelings of, I'm not valuable enough, I'm not worth it. It will trash their self-esteem. And don't project your dreams onto your kids. Like make your children the way that you try and achieve your unfulfilled dreams. That will also set them up for failure and resentment because they can never live up to, to your unfulfilled dreams. Parents are to bring children up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So don't exasperate them. Do bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And this is beautiful. It means to nourish and nurture them. This was in stark contrast to what we saw from that Greco-Roman culture and the way children were just a possession for their parents to do what they wanted with. You know, this nurture, I guess it talks about meeting all of those levels of needs, doesn't it? And, you know, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and there's that, that, um, that uh, physical, physiological needs, hunger, thirst, uh, clothing, warmth, and so on. And then you've got the safety needs, uh, security, being out of danger. Then you've got belonging needs and love. And then you've got esteem needs, moving up. And then you've got cognitive needs, aesthetic needs and at the top um, at the top is ultimate meaning and purpose and it's interesting that the gospel fulfills these needs it fulfills our ultimate meaning and purpose as we know God in Christ it fulfills our need for aesthetic needs and cognitive needs beauty and truth it fulfills our needs for esteem as we find our security and our identity rock solid and sure foundation in how God loves us unconditionally and how our parents mirror that unconditional love to us and our belonging needs as part of the family and as part of the church family and our safety needs to know that we are secure in God, in Christ, no matter what. There are many ways that we'll meet all these needs in our children, but a significant way is to actually give them this training and instruction, isn't it? Like, uh, like Paul so clearly states here. This heart to bring them up in training and instruction. It captures both sides of the teaching and the helping put it into practice. So on the teaching side of things, things like reading the Bible with our children, uh, praying with our children, Including our children in church and Sunday school and youth group. On the training sides of things, it might look like guiding our kids to put things into practice, modeling Christian living in, in everyday life, using those teachable moments uh, where questions come up, and being open to questions that our kids ask, and establishing good routines and expectations and habits. You know, uh, in 1954, Dorothy Law Nolt wrote a poem. and It's called um, Children Learn What They Live. It says, if, a children, if children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with ridicule, they learn to be shy. If children live with shame, they learn to feel guilty. If children live with encouragement, they learn confidence. If children live with tolerance, they learn to be patient. If children live with praise, they learn to appreciate. If children live with acceptance, they learn to love. If children live with approval, they learn to like themselves. If children live with honesty, They learn truthfulness. If children live with security, they learn to have faith in themselves and others. And if children live with friendliness, they learn that the world is a nice place in which to live. It's quite simple, but quite profound. And as parents, we know it's true. Our children learn what they live. And we are called. To give them an upbringing, a nurture that teaches them to learn the goodness and love of God. It's a humbling responsibility as parents, isn't it? That we are meant to reflect God's love for our children, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. We are meant to give them that sure understanding as they see us and our love for them of God's unconditional love for them. And we are meant to show them that grace, that mixture of um, training, instruction, but freedom to fail and giving them the grace of the gospel in our everyday life. Lastly, let's look at slaves and masters. We read, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether the slave or free. This is an interesting thing for us to read, isn't it? Because we don't have slaves or masters. In the context, I don't know if you've heard of the famous Aristotle, Um he said um, that the free man rules over the slave because the slave has no deliberative faculty and is a living tool. He considered it inappropriate to even speak about justice with regards to slaves. Because then, as he has just said, they're not considered worthy as a human being. They're just a living tool to be owned and used. This is a kind of attitude that people had towards slaves. Slaves had no rights. Now, we do have to separate this from slavery in America in the 1900s. Um, When you think about, say in the 19th century, when you think about race-based slavery and that oppression, up to a third of the Roman Empire was composed of slaves and some of them had a lot of respect and were even wealthy. but some of them were abused and treated terribly. I think we probably all agree that slavery is a tragedy and that the idea that someone can be owned by someone else is a terrible violation of our basic human rights. Slavery just is wrong. It seems to go against those truths of Scripture, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are all equal in God's sight. We have equal dignity and value. It's interesting what Paul does with slavery here. He doesn't actually say slaves revolt Um that probably wouldn't have worked in the Roman Empire, but what he does do, he he completely turns on its head the whole negative value of slavery, and he shows how slaves and free men, free people, were equal. While he says slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, obey them not only to win their approval when their eyes on you. He goes on to say, serve wholeheartedly as you are serving the Lord, not people. As if you are serving the Lord, not people. Doing the will of God. He says you are slaves of Christ. So again, he puts masters underneath the category of God and shows that the ultimate authority for slaves is Christ and God, not their earthly masters. He frees them from this oppression to this earthly master and gives them a higher master to serve. And here's the really shocking thing. Read with me in verse 6 verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Treat your slaves in the same way. What was that? they were to treat their slaves in the same way as slaves were to treat them. What did, they, what, did they, what did he say? With respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Masters are to capture this fearfully and wonderfully made, this dignity of the slave, and treat this slave who they are now responsible for with respect as a person created in God's image, with the fearfully and wonderfully made of of the psalm that talks about God's creation of the human being. You see this value placed on the human life. It says, Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism. Masters of slaves are reminded that they will have to give an account to God for everything they do, so they should not abuse their power or take advantage of the people who they serve, but rather see that they have responsibility for them and serve them in love. It reminds me of that verse that says, "Um." Jesus says, "Whatever you did for the least of these people, you did it for me. Jesus shows how everyone is valuable in his sight, whatever and he says, um, the relationship between slaves and masters should be like the relationship we would have with Jesus our Lord. You know this affects how we think of our, our work situations, how we think of our roles as a, as a boss as a manager, as a worker, um, wherever you are in work, doesn't that affect the way you see everyone else? Not just as a means to an end, not just as someone you try to impress to be able to get a better outcome, but in everything, we do everything for the Lord. It gives every action that we take. Everything that we do, eternal significance, because it is done with a heart of wanting to give honor and glory to God and serve the master of all and treat other people the way that we would treat Jesus.